0: Well, Um, in terms of accents, if we're going to talk about accents, can I just interrupt you? P.S. Brosnan, oh, oh, but he sounded Welsh. (laughs) (laughs) He did.
1: He did. Are
0: from Caffili, (laughs) P.S.?
2: Hello and welcome to episode 16 of the Dan and Joe Film Show. Hope you're all well, staying safe. I'm joined, as always, by the one and only, the very best, the Cardiff delivers.
0: Please welcome, Joe Richards! Oh, I like that introduction. That, the very best, that, that Cardiff delivers. <laughs> I might have that put on the front of my house. You should have a
2: picture of like a Cardiff and like giving birth to you and your little head coming out you know what I mean that'd be good. Oh, that
0: sounds awful. That sounds I mean, like, terrible. Like your like this. That, sounds, <laughs> Sorry. that sounds like alien. That sounds like a horrible <laughs> idea just me like protruding from Cardiff city centre. That's just going to be horrific. Nobody's going to want to see that. Um, but yes it's lovely to see you today Dan on this lovely Saturday morning. It's been a boiling week isn't it it's been so so hot this week absolutely and you know i sweat and i oh
2: my goodness me i mean i i was like constantly constantly moist all day <laughs> i was constantly moist and my skin i like you could touch my skin and it was just like sticky and it was awful i think it was thursday that was like the worst it was, it was the hottest day i can remember for a very long time like i would be lying on my bed windows open fan on double speed on my face and I I still was like oh my god what's going on but
0: um, it is a bit cooler today which is good but yeah a little bit humid isn't it a little bit humid. A little bit humid today and yeah very very hot this week which is a shame because typically this is the week that I go back to work after three months of being furloughed it's like all of a sudden the weather gets really really warm and lovely and Mm. then I'm asked to go back to work so I haven't really been out in the sun to enjoy it I've been forced to sit at home at my desk working nine till five whilst everybody else is out kind of gallivanting in the sunshine I have not personally got to enjoy the weather yet but I know that you have I know you've been out with the boys down the park and relaxing because you finished uni and stuff now so you've got a free couple of months now haven't you until you get back to school Yes, yeah, so and I tell you what, I am already so
2: bored, uh, and you know me, I like, I like routine, I like structure, I like someone telling me what to do, so it's, yeah, like I've literally finished by, for like a week, and I'm already struggling, so I'm going to have to pick up like a part-time job or something, like, you know, I don't know, being like a chauffeur or something, or a
0: gigolo, I don't know, something. Yeah, gigolo, definitely a gigolo. I could see you do doing... it. I'm not sure how yeah. your better half would feel about that you suddenly becoming a gigolo, but
2: she, this... she, she can join me. We can do like a, a what you know, a, a, you know, joint sex gigolo
0: thing, you know. There there is definitely a documentary to be made there. That's for sure. Over the past couple of months Obviously, we've talked a lot about cinemas and release dates. And obviously on our last show, which was the best and worst so far of twenty twenty, we ended that by talking about some release dates which were coming up and films we were looking forward to. That has already changed and 10 yeah, That was pointless. <laughs> <laughs> Tenet and Mulan have already been pushed back to August, so we'll see how that works. But there is some good news. There is some light at the end of the tunnel because Cineworld and I know Odeon have started to announce their run of films which they're expecting to be showing when they do open. I think Cineworld is opening the 10th of July in England. It should be said this is for England only at the moment. And I think you said Odeon... Uh, opening on July
2: the 17th. Is that right, Dan? Yeah, so, uh, yeah, the 17th of July, they're opening. And I know they've put their listings up already, but Cinewood have also uh, announced, certainly, a list of films they're going to be showing too. It's kind of like a mix of, of new releases that came out earlier this year and also some classics as well for you to enjoy.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So um, starting off with the films from earlier this year, they've got a good mix, I think, actually. The one film I'm very excited for them to be showing again is Queen and Slim, which I have been talking about a lot on this show. It feels like, especially over the last couple of weeks, mentioned it on our last show, Queen and Slim back in the cinema. I feel like it didn't really get a lot of buzz and a lot of attention the first time it was out. So I think that'd be really good to see on the big screen again. And then they've also got Bad Boys for Life, which is the highest grossing film of 2020 so far, apparently, uh, which is which is, which is is wild. And then they have got some family fare as well. You've got Sonic the Hedgehog, which is hugely popular. And I know me and you were quite surprised by how good that was. And then Onward, which I'm very excited about. Long ago, the world was full
2: of magic. Over time, magic faded away. But I hope.
1: There's a little magic left in you. It's from your dad. This brings him back. Dad? He's ah, just legs! We've only got 24
2: hours to bring the rest of him back. Put it in O for Onward! Get him! Whatever it takes, I am going to meet my dad. Disney
0: and Pixar's Onward with a PG. That was one of the last films I saw at the cinema before all this kicked off. And it got a bad time, really. It was kind of bad timing for it to come out. I think it was released, and then literally, like, a few weeks later, the cinemas were closed. So very excited for Onwards. And I know you are as well. You and Amelia really loved it, didn't you?
2: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's really good. I think cinemas are making the effort, aren't they, to try and get films as, as recent as they can. So films that literally... You know, we're in cinemas as cinemas were closing. And yeah, like, I totally go back and watch them. But I know um, Amelia, my better half, she wants to definitely go and watch it again. There are bits I can't remember. uh, And the fact that it's not on Disney Plus yet, that's kind of uh, an inkling for me to go. And yeah, like, obviously you've got 1917, which OG never announced have come out again. I'd really like to see that again in the cinema. Because I'm a big advocate of the fact that I don't think I can watch that at home. You know, it's a film that comes every now and then. It has to be seen in the cinema, so I'm definitely gonna go watch that. And you'd be happy to know, in Odeon, on the 18th and 19th of July, one of your favorite films of the last couple of years. I know you'll be jumping up and down for it. Can you have a guess what it is? Whiplash. No, it, it was. I'm being ironic, by the way. Um, oh, it right. A, it's a musical that stole my heart, and not so much yours. The oh, great showman no. they're back. <laughs> oh,
0: no. <laughs> I'm putting together a show and i need a star and what is your
1: act
2: i don't have an axe
1: everyone's got an act
2: ready showtime I know, and I've already booked us tickets, I've already booked us
0: tickets, (laughs) so um, you're coming with me, I'm going to have to handcuff you to the seat. Uh, No, no, absolutely not. Well, I'll tell you one thing, I will go and see The Greater Showman, if you come and see Back to the Future, which is now going to be showing at Cineworld when when it reopens, because as you said yourself, they're not only showing films from 2020, they are showing some classics as well. Back to the Future is on that list for Cineworld. Goodfellas, interesting choice there for Cineworld. My favourite gangster film of all time, Beats Club
2: Never seen Fala. it.
0: Oh, there we go. <laughs> there we are. One on the list. <laughs> Can't um, escape it now. I'm sure that you have seen this one, The Shawshank Redemption is going to be coming back to Cineworld. I have my father's favourite film of all time, so yeah, yeah, definitely watch that. You and Neil can uh, have, a, have a little father-son trip there. And then finally, Empire Strikes Back, uh, Star Wars, the best Star Wars film I think they've ever made.
1: The Empire Strikes Back. The Star Wars saga continues. The rebels are there, and I'm sure Skywalker is with me. He will join us or die. The rebel forces battle the Empire and Darth Vader... Join me. Don't
0: make me destroy you. The Empire Strikes Back. That's the one which generally looking at Twitter and Facebook and everything like that, people are most excited to see. And it's certainly the one I'm more excited to see as well, because I've never seen it on the big screen. I think it's gonna be particularly interesting to see how the newer films do though, because what we've got to remember is that films like Sonic and Onward in particularly, they've been available for the home cinema experience. £15 a pop. So if families have already paid that money out to watch those movies on Amazon or other streaming services, are they really going to go out and pay another £20 to go watch those films?
2: Yeah, definitely. And I think one thing to point out, I don't know as far as Cineworld are concerned, but OGN have reduced all their tickets to £5 for everybody, which I think is good. But you're right, I think films like Onward, I'd definitely be up for, because I think that is still quite pricey if you want to stream it. But films like Sonic have really gone down in price. I don't know about that. I don't think I'll be seeing that again. The classic ones are great, and I think they've done a really good choice. Some of the recent ones, I think they could ditch. I really do. I think someone like Queen and Slim they should keep because I don't think many people saw it. Just Mercy as well, I think that's a really good one to watch. Yeah. Um, but I think stuff like Sonic, uh, great Showman, I love it, but uh, it's quite old. I don't think their students have done a great job pushing these films back so far. I think cinemas are going to struggle for a month we're talking about now, which is you know is a long time, and it's a shame, because I do think Moon moonlight should have kept his original date, but there we are. But in a way, it might be good. It might be a time of transition where cinemas can kind of get a feel of things, see how it's going. I'm looking forward. To it. I, I I'm going to go. Are you going to go?
0: I'll I'll be going. I will I will certainly head out to see like Empire Strikes Back, and I'll probably go see Queen and Slim again. But yeah, I know. I think I think they are being quite clever in a way. I think studios are a little bit worried because I think there are still a large proportion of people who are not ready to go back to the cinema. And there's been news this week about the fact that cinemas have even said that. Face masks aren't mandatory. So they're not even saying that you need to wear a face mask to go to the cinema. And I know that's putting off a lot of people who are still worried about it. And some people have said, you know, we're still in a pandemic. So, really, Mm. is it necessary to go to the cinema? So I think the studios are rightfully being a little bit cautious. They're going to obviously see what happens when cinemas open in July and then take it from there. So I think they've made the right decision, but it's gonna be interesting to see how it has a knock on effect on all the other films from this year. Because at this stage, I honestly don't think we're gonna be able to see every big film which was due for release in 2020 this year. I think there's gotta be some films which are gonna, again, are gonna have to be pushed back to 2021. We've got some
1: exciting news to share.
2: Iris 2020 is going online and it's free.
1: But we need your help. We've always aimed to share lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender film with as many people as possible. And this year gives us the chance to have our biggest ever celebration.
2: Kinda of brings to mind that song.
0: Celebration. Taking the festival online means we can share amazing films, talks and even parties with our Iris family.
1: And a lot of new faces. But to make Iris 2020 available for free, we need your support.
0: Ticket sales form a significant amount
1: of our income. Please donate if you can. Together we can make Iris this year a massive, unforgettable celebration.
2: We are now joined by Tom Evans. He works for the Iris Prize Film Festival, celebrating LGBTQ filmmaking. Uh, This year, very, very different. It's going online, obviously with all the COVID and lockdown, taking place from the 6th to the 11th of October 2020. And to discuss all about it, we are now joined by Tom himself. Hello.
1: Hello, guys. How's it going? We're doing really well. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you. Very good. I'm very warm this evening. It's an exceptionally hot evening, but I'm quite Quite excited to be here to talk to you about the festival, which is good. We're just as excited. Joe and I were saying earlier on our last
2: episode of the show, all about David Frayne and dating Amber, and we've kind of tried to do like an LGBTQ month of films this year to celebrate Pride. So it's great to have you on. Um, so first things first, people who don't know the Iris Prize Film Festival, can you just tell us like briefly kind of what it's about and what, you know what, what you're working towards with it?
1: Well, the Iris Prize Film Festival uh, is in its fourteenth year now, and it, it basically celebrates LGBT plus filmmaking from all around the world. So we get all kinds of films of all different lengths, whether they're like big premieres of like feature films, even down to short one minute films, like cover all kinds of topics within the LGBT plus community. It's a fantastic festival that involves not only just the screening of films, but also the filmmakers themselves will attend, talk about those films, talk about issues within the LGBT plus community in filmmaking and the future of that community. It's a very, very exciting, Venture that uh, is—it brings a lot of different communities together around not only Cardiff but around the world. There are also travelling versions of the festival that tour the UK. So it's it's such it's such a big scale and a very successful venture put together by Baron Rowlands and Grant Viggen, and it's very generously supported by the Michael Bishop Foundation. The big thing about the festival is the winner of the Irish Prize will receive thirty thousand pounds
0: to make a new short film, which is an incredible prize. Absolutely incredible. As Dan just said, for the first time in its, in its history, it's going online this year. Was that a difficult decision to make? And what, do you know what people can look to expect from, from an online Iris Prize film festival? Well,
1: obviously it is very different. This would be the first time that the festival has had to go online. We have had our films made available online before through uh, streaming platforms with partnerships with uh, Peccadillo Pictures. But obviously yet yeah, this year, it's very different. But the good news out of this situation that we're in is that we, we're gonna be able to reach so many more people than we've ever done before. So from that perspective, it's an incredible opportunity. The big, big, big thing is that the festival this year is free for the first time again, which is just incredible. The the access to these films is unprecedented now. Anyone can access them from anywhere in the world. And our job now is to bring that energy and fun and excitement that we have at the live version of Iris and take it online. So there will still be interviews with filmmakers and special sessions about filmmaking. All that will continue as as much as we can. I I think it's gonna be a really exciting time for Iris. Yes, it will be different, we won't be going down to the King's in Cardiff for a little <laughs> drink or uh, over to Mary's <laughs> to celebrate. And I mean, we've had some incredible venues involved over the years. We usually host the Irish Prize at Cinewell Cardiff uh, in partnership with the University of South Wales. We've screened films at the atrium as well. This year, the original plan was also to have back Chapter uh, Art Centre for screening films. So they are back in the Irish family, but of course we won't physically be there in the plan that we originally had. But I think it's going to be great. I mean, the fact it's free is just brilliant. But what it does mean is that we do need to ask for your help for the first time, that we do need your support to make it free. So we're asking for donations this year rather than selling tickets. And uh, if I can just be that kind of person that needs to plug the donations, if I can. Do it, plug it. We would really, really appreciate your donations. You can visit our website, irisprize.org forward slash donate, and you can donate there, or you can text us. And the details are on the website and you can make a text donation as well. What a wonderful plug. Well
2: done, Tom. Uh, (laughs) um, Obviously, you've been part of the festival for a couple of years now. Has there been a particular
1: highlight for you? Has there been a film you've watched that's really stuck with you over time? Well, I mean, I I can't pick a particular film because some of them, I mean, there are too many. In my experience with the festival, I've been involved in various areas of the festival. Originally, I I covered it for local media, so I was interviewing the festival operators and the participants, and then later become involved in the festival by working on the um, the festival awards, which happen at the end of the week, uh, interviewing filmmakers during the week, but also part of the pre-selection process. So I get to see so many films, I could not possibly pick one that I would say is my favorite, but there are a couple that stick in my mind. I don't know if I can really describe the one, but let's just say there was one last year where the gentleman who was the star had a very passionate affair with his Hoover. Uh, I won't go into any more detail than that. (laughs) That kind of stuck in my mind. know, Henry the Hoover. (laughs) Yeah, well, funny enough, we did actually, uh, when it was screened, we did actually bring out Henry the Hoover down to the front of the the audience uh, when uh, Berwin introduced the film, which was quite funny. But uh, yeah, that was quite extraordinary. But I mean, there really have been some incredible films. I I can't single any out because there have been too many. But that's the beauty of Iris, is that there are so many good films that cover so many different aspects of the LGBT plus community. And that's why you need to to attend, you need to come online. You've got no excuses now, it's free,
0: for goodness sake. (laughs) Couldn't have said it better myself. Um, on a wider scale, we asked David Frane when he joined us on our last show, where he thought the film industry was currently at with LGBTQ plus uh, representation. What are your thoughts on, on the industry and, and where, that, where it's currently at right now?
1: Yeah, I won't I be able to give thoughts on behalf of the festival itself, but my own personal thoughts, I mean, I, I suppose it's, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because I'm exposed to so many LGBT press films through Iris, which is obviously dedicated to that community. I do kind of sometimes sort of want to step out of that and go look at mainstream media and go, where are we at? There, I mean, it it is fantastic that we have a festival dedicated to this community. But is that penetrating the mainstream media? Are we telling those stories to people that aren't necessarily looking for the uh, the LGBT stories? And I feel like we're getting there, and I feel like there's certainly a lot more content. I think films like Love Simon, which is obviously a very big Hollywood blockbuster, did a terrific job in sort of highlighting that these stories are accessible for anybody. It doesn't matter if you if you are yourself not gay or straight or bi or whatever, you can they'll tell a good story and still be interested in that experience and take something from it i think we do need more of that i felt like love simon was like not a not a turning point because there's certainly been many 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 mainstream films that have done very very well over the years i'm far too young to remember half of them anyway of course i am but you know in the more recent years love simon did a great job and i do kind of feel like we were like oh great this is this is quite exciting now but Did the momentum continue? I'm not so sure. It's a shame that more Hollywood films aren't focusing on LGBT stories. I feel like they are in a small way, but there's certainly a lot more room for them, I think.
2: Definitely. Couldn't agree more. And we can't wait to experience Iris Prize Film Festival. Very different online, like Tom said. It's taking place from the 6th to the 11th of October, and you can find out more information
1: on www.irisprize.org. Any last thoughts, Tom? Anything you want to say? Oh yeah, one other thing I would like to say is that in the run-up to the festival, to get the family together, we're running a quiz. I'm running a quiz, I should say. My God, what what am I thinking? On our Facebook page. And the next one is on the 24th of July. And we'd love for you to join us. All you have to do is join our Facebook page. And it's just a great, fun night in. Easy quiz, film questions, Iris questions. It's really, really good fun. So follow our Facebook page, search Iris Prize. Join the quiz, 24th.
2: You are so good. Take a breath now, Tom, take a
1: breath. (laughs) Thank you again, Tom Evans, for
2: joining us. Please, please go out and and experience Irish Price Film Festival. It is fantastic. And also for LGBTQ filmmaking, it's brilliant as well. Thank you so much again. My pleasure. Thank you, guys. I can't even tell you how many times I've been in public space, particularly early in my transition, when I would walk into a subway car and people would just burst into laughter. And I think people are t- have been trained to have that reaction. According to a study from GLAD, eighty percent of Americans don't actually personally know someone who is transgender. So most of the information that Americans get about who transgender people are, what our lives are and are about, comes from the media. We've been around since there was uh, footage. You just have to look for us. Can we all just talk about D.W. Griffith for a minute? Not only is he incredibly racist, but he turned gender non-conforming people into the joke. So it's like, you can't have, like, queer trans people and blackness in the same space at the same time. So what's to say about my queer trans black ass? They've died so many times, they can't even count on camera.
1: I've been a prostitute, prostitute one, prostitute two, call girl hooker, okay. <laughs> oh. The crying game created a ripple effect. You are a trans person who existed, made people physically ill, was the way in which my favorite movie as a child ended. There are lots of ugly things about our history
2: But I think we have to know them.
1: I have been beaten.
2: I have been thrown in jail for gay liberation. And you all treat me this way? There is a one word solution to almost all the problems in trans media. We just need more. And that way, the occasional clumsy representation wouldn't matter as much because it wouldn't be all that there is.
1: You see a fierceness that's coming up now that's because we ain't got nothing to lose these
0: are my sisters up here but the struggle is real the ways in which trans people have been represented have suggested that we're mentally ill that we don't exist and yet here we are and we've always been here Let's do some reviews.
2: And the first one we've got is a a documentary available on Netflix. It's called Disclosure.
0: I have not seen this, you have, so take it away, Joey. This comes from Sam Fedder. It's an in-depth look at the history of transgender representation in media. Not just film, but television too and it's basically got lots of talking heads with various transgender celebrities you've got actors you've got writers you've got directors you've got producers a vast array of transgender personalities who basically talk about their own experiences of going through the transitional process and seeing how the media portrays transgender people and how that portrayal has essentially affected their own kind of psyche whilst transitioning. It's a really incredibly compelling documentary, I have to say. What the documentary does incredibly well, it puts forth its arguments concisely, effectively, and it has all the evidence to back up its claims which is important for these types of documentaries this comes from the pool of like my favorite documentaries basically which has the evidence to make you self-reflect it makes you think about your own reaction to certain things in the past in your life and it has loads of archival footage to back up what it's trying to put across the amount of footage that this film has is nothing short of extraordinary really. Right from the start of the the 20th century, they've got films like from, they've got clips from D.W. Griffiths films from like 1908, right down to like modern day films like The Danish Girl and everything in between. There's talk about Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, and films which at the time, like I remember watching Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, when it came out and not realising the transgender implications that it had and it gives the what the film does it gives you that alternate view of experiences that you've had in the past with films like Ace Ventura and it makes you reflect on how you reacted to those films and you take away a lot from it. So it is really really efficient in that way and really really effective it did teach me lots about trans representation obviously i've seen a lot of films like boys don't cry which is reference the danish girl which is reference But never have I fully understood the extent of how trans representation in media has been so problematic in the past. The whole kind of point of this documentary is basically saying that the trans representation through film has often been... A point of ridicule. A lot of filmmakers have used it like trans characters as evil characters, as serial killers. Silence of the Lambs, that comes up with Buffalo Bill, you know, a trans character portrayed in that film as a serial killer. And it's basically all these people involved within the industry saying how that affects the general public's view of who a transgender person is. And I just think it's, it's an aspect I've never considered before. I think obviously this is Pride Month, so what, there's no better time really to release a film like this. I think it will educate a lot of people. And um, The trans issue is an issue which I needed educating on. It's not one I'm particularly familiar with, because as the, as the film points out, it's not one which is often portrayed in mainstream media in a positive way. It's sort of kind of in the background in the peripheral, but I didn't know how important the the trans representation has been through cinema. It's really interesting they talk about the the even the term cut like the first cut in cinema that d. w. Griffiths put into film involves a transgender person and and that kind of that whole theme of obviously cutting is it's it's just a fascinating documentary I think it's compelling, it's fascinating, it taught me a lot, it educated me, it made me self-reflect and the greatest documentaries have done that in recent years, the one which always jumps to my mind is um, Asif Kapadia's Amy Winehouse documentary, which really had an impact on me because it made me consider the fact that I had like laughed at you know comedians' jokes about her in the past when she was actually a very troubled individual. And this is, comes from that similar ilk. It's a film which makes you self-reflect on your own reaction to stuff in the past, like Ace Ventura, when it has that big gag at the end where everybody's been sick. I think it's the best documentary of 2020 I've seen so far. Obviously, Netflix have put a lot out in terms of documentary over the past few months. We've had stuff like Crip Camp, uh, which was really great, and Circus of Books, which we've reviewed on the show with Hamish. But this just sets the bar a lot higher for me. It's really, truly something special, and everybody should go out, watch it, educate themselves on these issues. And I think you'll be a lot better for it after watching it. I want to ask, with
2: films like The Danish Girl and Boys Don't Cry, does transgender community look at those
0: films and go, that's a really good representation, or are they still a bit critical on it? Okay, so with the subject with Boys Don't Cry, that is a bone of contention among many transgender people, I think, because on the one aspect, I think that is one of the few films and one of the few representations which has... Kind of truly portrayed what it's like to transition and to be a transgender person. That said, it doesn't come with its, without its flaws because there's also a documentary about the same story which Boys Don't Cry is based on. And in that documentary, it was revealed that there was a black friend of the main protagonist in Boys Don't Cry who was completely missing. From the dramatized version. So they have an interview with a transgender person who is black, and he kind of makes the point of saying the transgender representation is especially difficult with black people who are transitioning or who are transgender because there's even less representation of that so that doesn't come out without its issues but I think across the board a lot of people have said that Boys Don't Cry it is one of the best examples so it is fascinating because you've seen these movies but you see it from a different perspective when you watch this documentary afterwards and I know for a fact that when I go back and watch Ace Ventura again, you know, I will see it in a different light. And I think that is a this is a very current topic at the moment with everything that's going on with Black Lives Matter. There's a lot in the press about these old representations of black people and gay people and what is acceptable to show anymore. This film does make you see these movies in a different light. And for me, that's what I want from a documentary. I want to leave a documentary feeling like I know a little bit more than I did going in, and feeling moved, and more than anything, feeling self-reflective. And this certainly did all that for me. So it is really great. Pride Month, obviously, we're we're, we're trying our best to kind of support Pride Month as as best as possible. So please go out and watch it.
2: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. The way I look at it, education, not defamation. That's my little quote for you. (laughs) Boosh, Boosh, drop the pen, drop the pen. Here we go. Moving on to something very different now. This is 7500, directed by Patrick Vollrath and stars Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who we haven't seen in a little while. It's available on Amazon Prime UK. And it's basically uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt plays a character called Tobias Ellis. He is a pilot. He's flying uh, from Berlin to Paris when basically a group of terrorists invade uh, the plane. They try and gain access into the cockpit and try and take over the flight. And it is basically a, a film that is set inside the plane, single location, and it's all about Tobias' fight to, to remain control of the plane, whilst they start to take hostages and things start to get very, very serious. Let's have a clip. European 162, please report your
0: emergency.
1: European 162,
0: what's your emergency? Michael, I'm fine. Okay. Just focus now. I'm bringing down the airplane. Yeah,
1: okay. 162, mm-hmm. what's your emergency? We have a 7500. Okay, understood. Could you explain what
2: happened? This is Tobias Ellis, the first officer speaking. The captain is injured, but he's okay. Several men attacked our cockpit. We stopped them From now. One of them is still in the cockpit. He's unconscious, the rest are in the cabin. Status of the crew, I don't know. I just hope they're safe in the back. I understood. How many
1: passengers are on board?
2: 85. Okay, where would you like to go to? Um, Towards what airport? Okay, that was a clip there from 7500. I-, I think Joe and I are both on the same page. We didn't know anything about this film, to be honest. Like, I literally saw it a couple of days before it was released. I don't know what it is. I think with Amazon originals, They don't release them that often, but when they do, they are interesting films. And I think I like the pace and the the rate they are, you know, releasing these movies. They're not like Netflix, where sometimes, you know, um, more is not better, but Netflix do release a lot more. But actually, I do think these Amazon originals, they have quality to them. This is 90 minutes, and I could not pause it for a second. I absolutely love this film to bits. I thought it's incredibly tense. It's gritty. It's it makes you feel so claustrophobic. It makes you feel like you are trapped in this uh, cockpit with Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character as he tries to regain control of the plane. And I'm not a good flyer. Like I have a fear of flying, so I I, I was great during this movie. I was like nearly sweating everywhere and kind of really f- about to be sick, basically. And it wasn't even the, actually the bad bits. It was the bit when they were like taking off. <laughs> even that. Yes. Bit, was, like, yes. Oh my gosh. I really struggle on a plane. Where it's always the takeoff for me. It's never anything else. Once I'm up at the end, fine. But it's it's that sense of realism. I really felt like I was on board this plane. And in the movie takes it's time to establish the routine of, you know, getting the passengers on the plane, you know, setting it up. And I think it was the moments before things started to kick off that I really felt gripped by the film. I really felt captivated. You you know something's going to happen. There's going to be some sort of incident on the plane, and you're just just waiting, and it's so nail-biting. And I think that's what the film does really, really well. More so, I thought Joseph Gordon-Levitt's performance was not just great, I think for me, I'm looking at possible Oscar uh, territory with him. I thought he was unbelievably terrific in this. The movie weighs a lot on his shoulders. Uh, he has to carry the film. He, I don't think there's a single scene he's not in. And I thought he just did an absolutely terrific job. Just his emotional depth. and um, You really sympathise with what he was going through. I'm not going to spoil it. Um, But there is a scene in particular which I found so distressing, which has a connection to his character. He is just fantastic in this, you know. He really, really delivers it. Um, And I think when Oscars come, I don't think this film's going to be nominated, but I think his performance should be. It's really, really great. And yeah, I love this film to bits. It's 90 minutes, it flew by. I couldn't stop it. I didn't want it to stop. I didn't want to pause it. And yeah, it is just really claustrophobic, gritty, really really tense
0: stuff and yeah it's in my top 10 of the year I loved it. I loved it too I think it comes from the Paul Greengrass school of filmmaking now I'm a big fan of Paul Greengrass I don't talk about him enough I think he is one of the best filmmakers working today because he has got that sense of realism that which he brings to his films whether or not that space a film based off of a true story, such as United 93, which obviously this has got very much the same themes of United 93, or whether it's something which is more of a genre piece, like the Bourne Identity films. Paul Greengrass always brings a sense of reality to these films, and this reminded me a lot of a Paul Greengrass film like you said yourself it's grounded in reality it takes that time to go through the kind of mundane procedures of you know checklists before taking off and it puts you squarely in that pilot seat as you're taking off which like you made me feel sick. So I'm glad that you had that same feeling because I thought maybe it was just me. So the fact that you're kind of a fly on the wall within this cockpit just adds to that tension. It is, again, a pressure cooker of a movie because it builds that tension for the first half especially really, really well because there are all these different elements. And when the hijacking takes place, it is so realistic, it is so visceral, because it just happens. It just happens out of the blue, and it just left me shook. Um, and then how the film continues to build on that tension. Like you said, there is a personal connection to the lead character in the, the main side of the plane, in the passenger side of the plane. And you, you're kind of wondering, how is he gonna kind of keep the passengers safe, keep this connection safe, uh, and land the plane safely whilst keeping these terrorists at bay. He's also got a terrorist in the cockpit unconscious. I mean, that is a great concept which just makes me sweat just talking about the concept itself. I mean, forget nail biting. I was like chewing through my fingers during this time. My biggest concern about the film going in, and it's the same with any film like this of this kind, can the director maintain that tension and can he build on it i would say as i said largely yes the tension is built really nicely through the film especially that scene you referred to earlier on where he's kind of watching the security footage and the terrorists bring a hostage to the screen i think that is real tense stuff for me It kind of lost that tension in the final 20 minutes, I will say. The final 20 minutes lost me a little bit. I didn't feel as tense. That's nothing against the filmmaker because I think the filmmaker is in a really tough position because I don't think he could have ended it any other way without it kind of losing that realism. If it had been like this big dramatic kind of landing sequence, it would have then crossed over into the realms of big-budget Hollywood blockbuster, which this film isn't trying to do. It's trying to be anti-blockbuster, if anything. So I can understand the choices that the writer made with that final 20 minutes, but I do have to say I I didn't feel as on the, the edge of my seat as I did the rest of the film um, in the last 20 minutes. Joseph Gordon-Levitt, terrific performance, definitely one of the best performances of the year because he's so unrecognisable in the film. He does that kind of classic Tom Hanks kind of performance, really. Tom Hanks has got that great gift of disappearing into characters, Mm -hmm. into like everyman characters, like Sully, for example. And in this, Joseph Gordon-Levitt does that brilliantly he manages to just transform into this character completely you don't feel like you're watching an actor on the screen you feel like you're watching a real person so I agree it is one of the best performances of the year I don't think it's going to get the recognition it deserves at all which is a real shame but I hope that people will come across it on Amazon and go wow Ever since we were children, we've had one dream.
1: Winning the Eurovision Song Contest.
0: All right, everyone. I am Lars. This is Secret.
1: We are Fire Saga. Who
0: wants to hear our Eurovision Song?
1: Iceland thinks we are a joke.
0: That's not true.
1: And my father is ashamed of me. No, he's not. He looked me into the eyes and said, I am ashamed of you.
0: Maybe he was drunk.
1: He said, and you might think that I'm drunk, but I am
2: dead sober.
0: Idiot.
1: Officially, Saga will be representing Iceland at Eurovision this year. I hate them. Absolutely terrible. They're old, disgusting people, but we have no choice.
0: So we're in. Yep. Forty-two countries.
2: Hundreds of performers. And a worldwide audience of 180 million.
1: This is Eurovision. Woo! It's a jungle. Wow. You have to watch that guy, he is a sex player. Hey, looking good, Secret, very beautiful boys. Thank you. We are a duo that will never be separated. George Michael says something about other Wham guy. <laughs> no one even knows his name. Andrew Ridgeley. You have to stay focused, we need to win. What are you doing? I just want my ding dong to look bigger than what is really there.
2: Smart.
1: Yeah. I could do a camel. Do a classic camel, it's never out of style. Yeah. This is it. We have to prove to Iceland and my extremely handsome father that my life hasn't been a waste. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, I ruined it for both of us.
0: Lars, you are a dreamer. My dreamer. Ah, we
1: can't. Really? Romance, it ruins the band. Fleetwood Mac. Ace of Base, Simon and Goldfunkle.
2: Yeah, I forgot about Simon. Oh, yeah. the mountains sing Through the screams of seagulls the- are not giving up. Tonight is our night.
1: You don't have a single chance of making it.
0: <laughs> Stop laughing, <laughs> I'm trying to fight you! <laughs>
2: You hit me back. Very light, like silky kitty fist in marshmallow boxing gloves. Will Farrell is back, everybody. Did you miss him? Yeah. No. Okay. <laughs> Yay. You love Will Farrell, don't oh, you? Oh, I honestly, that is my dream. Nick Cage is up here. Will Farrell's just below. I think he's just he Will Farrell could sit there and stare at me and I will be in crying in tears. And there's something about his face, I don't know what it is. Yeah, love Will Ferrell. I do think he gets a bad rap for the critics, I'm going to be honest with you. And yeah, he's got a brand new film now, all about the
0: Eurovision Song Contest. Do you want to explain the story for this? Yeah, absolutely. So Will Ferrell plays Lars and he is joined here by Rachel McAdams. Again, absolutely fabulous. Oh, love, love. Love her. She plays Sigrid. They are childhood friends. The film opens with Lars as a child. His mother has recently passed away and he's sad and he's lonely and he's sitting on his um, father's stairs in in, in that lovely house in Iceland. And then he hears Abba on Eurovision Song Contest singing Waterloo. And he suddenly comes alive and he starts dancing in front of the television and his friend, Sigrid, played by Rachel McAdams uh, as an older version, she starts dancing as well. She's never spoken as a child until this moment. And Lars kind of teaches her how to sing. And from there, a lifelong relationship uh blooming romance is kind of formed between the two characters will they won't they as they start a band called fire saga and aim to be the Eurovision champions of the future. So this is directed by David Dobkin of Wedding Crashers fame. I've got to say, I love Wedding Crashers. It's been so long since I've watched it. I've got it's weird. I'm kind of worried to go back and watch these types of comedies now. Oh. Just in case. Do you know what I mean? Just in case there's something wrong with them or something I you know which hasn't really aged. Now enjoy help. it. Enjoy them. Enjoy them. <laughs> right. But yeah, Wedding Crashers. I've got to say, I I do love uh, back in the day. Obviously, it's a good kind of reunion with Rachel McAdams, co-written by Will Ferrell and Andrew Steele. This is got a whole number of elements that I love. First and foremost, Iceland. Iceland is my spiritual home. I want to be buried in Iceland at the bottom at the bottom of a mountain in okay, Iceland. Okay,
2: just just making that note now. Just making that <laughs> note. Yeah, cool,
0: cool. I want to I want to retire to a farm in Iceland. I'll I'll learn farming just so I can go and live in a really small community in the Icelandic hills. I love Iceland a bit. I've been twice. I want to go again like literally next year. And just seeing that on the screen and seeing the places I've been, I was like, oh, I've been there, I've been there. That was lovely to see. Loved the fact that it talks a lot about elves. They properly believe that elves exist. So wow. I it absolutely nailed that fact because there's this whole subplot that Rachel McAdams' character Sigrid believes that elves exist and she keeps asking the elves to help them. And it's a, it's a plot thread which has an hilarious payoff, I've got to say. So love the fact that it's set in Iceland. Loves the fact that obviously it's about Eurovision. Over the last kind of five years or so, I've really gotten into Eurovision. So I love the campy fun of Eurovision. Obviously, we've not had it this year. So it's great to see some form of Eurovision um, in 2020. And then finally, you've got Will Farrell, who, like you, I think is hilarious. And Rachel McAdams as well. So it ticks all the boxes on that front. That said, again, I don't want to seem weird when it comes to film runtimes, but when I saw it was two hours, four minutes long, that kind of put me off a little bit. I, I personally don't think any comedy should be longer than 90 minutes, 100 minutes. And I thought maybe they were gonna drag the idea of Eurovision out a lot longer than it needed to be. And in the end, that's exactly what happened and exactly how I felt. It is campy, fun, very, very silly, I enjoyed it for its light, campy, fun moments. I think it was really sweet, a lot sweeter than I thought it was going to be. And Rachel McAdams, she just steals the show for me. She has proven, especially over the last few years, that she is a like comedic force not to be reckoned with. For me, she is funnier than Will Ferrell in, in this film for me. And I watched Game Night the other week, actually, with my better half. She hadn't seen it. It's on Amazon Prime. and she is terrific in that and i think maybe that didn't help things here actually because game night is such a tight well conceived comedy that this doesn't kind of hit that to the same extent you've got some great cameos from former eurovision contestants here which i'm not going to spoil that's a great scene but the film just shouldn't have been two hours long they could have easily gotten rid of a few plot points a few plot threads Tightened the narrative a little bit. Focused more on hitting those big jokes. And I think the film would have been far better for it. I wanted more songs. I wanted more songs like it opens with Volcano Man. Which I've just got on repeat at the moment. I think it's hilarious. So like I wanted more songs like that. It's kind of like they do Volcano Man. Then they do another song. Uh, and then that's about it. And I think they could have maybe done a bit more, they could have satirised Eurovision a bit more with a few more campy songs. It does its job. It's perfectly fine. I think it's really quite good for streaming, actually. seem like a big budget comedy with Will Ferrell and Rachel McAdams. But... There's a lot left to be desired, and I think it's not when you can put it in the same line of like Game Night and films like that, it's nowhere near as good.
2: Yeah, I completely agree with you. Um, I don't think it's his best, I don't think it's his worst. I think it finds like a middle gray area, to be honest with you. Um, and I think Will Farrow's much better in these kind of lower budget indie dramas, like, some, like Downhill, which we saw earlier on in the year, which I loved. And I just kept thinking, wow, he's so much better in that because he's given more of a fleshed out character and he just works better. And you're right, Richard McAdams is unbelievably terrific in this. She's so good. You sympathize with her, you really love her character. She's really funny. Um, And she has this kind of story arc that he doesn't have. He's an idiot. He's a real idiot towards (laughs) the end. He does things. He does things, and and it's not even funny. And I'm like, what are you doing? And you just don't care about him towards the end. But you're completely right. The runtime, I saw it, and I know I have gone about runtime quite a lot, and I think I shouldn't because I think I need to save it for films like this where literally the film could finish at 90 minutes. There's a point um, where if they, I'm not gonna spoil it, if they change it to the final, that was literally, could have been it. But then they repeat the same thing twice towards the end. It was very confusing to me, very, very silly, and just dragged it out um, incredibly so. You're right, the chemistry between the two stars are brilliant, that is the reason to watch the film for me. I thought it was a good parody on Eurovision. There's a great scene involving a sing-along, Uh, Where all they bring back all the Eurovision past winners, that was great, and it's kind of a medley of all these different hits. Um, but after that happened, the second half of me just dragged. Didn't like Dan Stevens, thought he was kind of just I don't know, thought he was no, didn't like him at all. Thought I knew exactly where he was going, very campy, you know, which I like, but his accent
0: was uh, I was like, was he Romanian, Russian? I didn't really get that. Well, um, in terms of accents, if we're going to talk about accents, can I just interrupt you? P.S. Brosnan. Oh. Oh, but he sounded Welsh. No. <laughs> <laughs> he did.
1: He did. Are <laughs> he,
0: he, from Cthulhu, P.S.? <laughs> he did. Oh, uh, you're so right. He was dreadful.
2: He was dreadful. Yeah. Um, yeah, accents not great. But yeah, I just thought the second half got very predictable, went into those tropes of, oh, I can't do this with you anymore. I need to go back home, you know, maybe this isn't for me. And, you know, are we going to lose? And they do that so often. It's not just even one time, they do it twice, which I thought was really unnecessary. But yeah, it's fine. Um, I chuckled a couple of times. I think it's a good parody on Eurovision. The, the first hour is very strong, and I actually would have preferred it if they'd stayed in Iceland for longer. I think that community in Iceland was really interesting. There's a great bit when they're performing in a pub and the guy's like, I want ya-ya-ding-dong. <laughs> He's hilarious. I I just, I, you know, I love Eurovision, um, and I think it is a good parody, but I think if you don't nail that, you kind of, it doesn't work as well, and I think maybe they should have just stayed with the fact that these are two aspiring musicians in Iceland who want to make it big. You know, you didn't need to make it Eurovision, per se, um, and I would have been happy with that because it starts off so strong, and then the second half, it just kind of goes downhill for me. But, yeah, I enjoyed it. Uh, like I said, not his best. Not his worst. I think it, it's worth, worth the time on Netflix. But yeah, two hour length. I don't think so. So yeah, that's all we've got time for on today's show. Please make sure to follow us on social media. We're on Facebook under the Dan Joe Film Show. You can uh, catch us on Twitter and Instagram at DJ Film Show. Uh, for all the latest and also if you want to catch up with any old of our uh, podcast episodes we're on Mixcloud, we're on Spotify, iTunes, we're on everything for you so make sure to go back and listen to those and we've got a bit of a treat for you now. We're going to end with a song that Joe can't get out of his head. This is from Eurovision Song Contest, the story of Fire Saga and this is Volcano Man uh, and we'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening and goodbye.
0: (laughs) Bye-bye. Woke up at night